Alrighty, so uh, so I had a message and I planned it out. Uh, whoa, hold on. Go ahead and mute that guitar, man. There we go. Okay. I had a message and I planned it all out, and then this morning when I was going through and refining it, I, the intro part started getting longer and longer and longer, and I thought, well, man, maybe that's the message. But instead, we'll just do both, all right? So I'll try to be brief. Um, but um, we've been speaking about our new name change, Maranatha, and the meaning behind that and all that kind of thing. And last week, Pastor Jeff shared kind of what would be the perfect Maranatha prayer, it's in the Bible, it's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, and you find this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And um, I think, I mean, obviously, if Jesus is like, hey, you know, when you're praying, you should pray like this, it's a good idea. But also, um, I think uh, it helps us to kind of define what it looks like to be a Christian person, because I think that, uh, I've heard there's an old saying, or uh, a saying that goes something like when, when the disciples and Paul, like in early biblical times, it was really easy to define what a Christian was, and it was really hard to do it, okay? And now, it's really hard to define what being a Christian is, and it's really easy to do it, or can be really easy to do it, depending on where you live, you see? So... When Jesus was around, or when his followers, his immediate followers were around, following him, it was really easy to define what that meant, but it was really hard to do, because, you know, the government would try to kill you and things like that. Nowadays, in our culture, in America, it's really hard to define exactly what this means, and it's really easy to do lending to a problem, Um, and that problem could be like this. Probably a lot of us, maybe not necessarily in this room, but statistically, I would say there's a good chance, think that we're Christian, think we're following God, and we're just not. But, you know, we were born this way, or, you know, my mom went to church, I went with her, so, so whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that ain't it, you know. You've always heard that whole saying, like, you can hang out in a garage that doesn't make you a car, or whatever, you know. But, uh. You can hang out in a church that doesn't make you a Christian. So, what it, so we need to talk about what a Christian life really looks like. And we need to have a clear understanding of that. And uh, that's why that thy kingdom come, thy will be done helps in this area. Because um, in a, when the Bible talks about being born again or dying to yourself, a good word for the Christian life is surrender. We surrender to the Lord. A lot of weight to that kind of language. Um, means we don't get our way. Um, he's a good God, so it's a good thing to do. But it's very difficult and very anti-American in a lot of ways. You know, we like to be in charge and run things. You know, and here's a God who wants us to surrender, and uh, it's difficult. So I want to kind of build out on that because I think that we are as a church at a spot that you can. We're going to either pick this way or that way. And it's probably going to have uh, drastic implications on Jesus, who, like how we follow him and all of these sorts of things. And um, I mean that in a prophetic sense, so it's not necessarily specific. Because I think it's individual, I think it's corporate, 
It might be the church in America. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to speak that boldly, but at least for here. And I think that what God is saying to us is that we need to believe him for more. If we say we follow him, then we need to believe in what God says about himself in his word. We need to be reading his word to know what he says about himself and then to believe it. We also need to believe what God says about us, you know, who we are, our need for him, also how much he loves us, all of these kinds of things, our belovedness in spite of the circumstances. And interacting with God, keeping in mind Romans 11 is making a point about God cutting off some branches of his tree and grafting in new branches and all this. And he's like, you know, and and he, he talks about just, you know, take note of, he says something like that, the kindness and the severity of God. And we have to hold these two things because I think, in my experience, people tend to like one or the other. And it usually depends on who they're in a fight with or how they feel about them. You know, if you think, oh, I'm such a loser, it's really nice to feel about the kindness of God. It's really hard for God to go, you need to stop that. Like, whoa. You know? And if you are seeing somebody doing something bad or you don't like what something's do, somebody's doing, you're like, man, it's really nice that God doesn't play with that kind of nonsense. You know, almost like it gives you a right to hate somebody. You know, and then God's the one, like, loving them. And you see Jesus living this out in ways that confound his disciples repeatedly. You just read that. Read John, you know, and you'll go, they're basically like, hey, those jerks that didn't receive us, can we pray that fire will come down and consume them? (laughs) You know, we like the severe God today. Jesus is like, no. Then they go to a different town. But it's not either or. This is the thing that I want to say today. It's not like God is kind sometimes and he's severe other times. He's unchanging. He's both. And that might be beyond our human ability to understand or beyond our human ability to maybe accomplish. I don't know. The point is God is both kind and severe, exceedingly kind. Like the people that deserve the worst thing in our mind, he's kind to them, which is weird, frustrating at times. But then his severity, the things he cares about, he doesn't play around with. And they're not always the same things we care about. And that'll wake you up pretty quick. And you see some examples. I was thinking about in the Old Testament. It affects what we do as followers. Meaning there is a story in uh, 2 Kings uh, where the king of Israel, who's not a great guy, hears Elisha, the prophet, is dying. He's like, oh, man. Crap, I gotta go, you know, I need to go talk to this guy. And Elisha says, okay, you know, shoot an arrow out the door out the window. It's like, okay, that means you're gonna have victory over these kings and this kind of thing. And he's like, now take these other arrows and hit the ground with them. Like this is what God is saying. He's a prophet, all right, so he can say stuff like this. Like hit these hit these arrows and like if you're shooting an arrow out of the window means you're gonna have victory over king such and such. Hitting the arrows on the ground means you're gonna have vic- you know. So he hits he does it like three times. And Elisha's like, What is wrong with you? Like if you just done it like six you would have wiped this guy out, but now you're going to fight him three times, you're going to win three times, and then he's going to, like, mess you up. And you're like, well, hold on now. You know, I did what you said. I did what you said. But for some reason, not enough. All right? This one gets me a lot. I'm pretty logical. So I'm like, well, God, I tried that. And he's like, did I say stop? 
I'm like, oh man, guess not. You know. But likewise, Moses. I mean, everybody, even people who don't even know who the Bible have heard the word Moses. You know, Moses is God's deliverer of the Hebrew people from Egypt, the, the one he calls, <laughs> who does amazing stuff. Your God uses him to do amazing stuff. Him and his brother Aaron, I mean, they part the Red Sea. I mean, we all know this stuff. Then they're in the wilderness, and the people are complaining. We don't have water. So God's like, or, you know, strike this rock, and I'll pour forth water. And Moses strikes the rock twice. And God says, God does bring the water, but he says, since you didn't believe me, you're not going into the Holy Land. It's like, whoa, whoa. Now, I don't know how this all plays out. You know what I'm saying? Like, perhaps the guy with the arrows, he's like, this is stupid, but I'll do it to keep him. You know, maybe he feels like that, and so God knows that. And he's like, you're not believing. You know, and maybe Moses, I don't know. There are, there is biblical commentary about this, about how that represents Jesus being um, crucified twice. And that's why God cared so much about this rock water thing. So it's, you know, it's not like, but like to the guy standing there, you know, he could have been like God, he's like, strike this rock with the, stick and I'll bring water and he's like and then nothing happens he's like do it you know and God's like whoa 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 whoa, don't play around crap I screwed up the stage a little bit there but we'll fix that that was freestyle that moment of course it's right in the middle anyway that'll be your testimony don't don't strike you gotta remember that I'm gonna uh, well you get the point it matters. What God cares about is not always the same as what we care about. And I pray that we would be in the place where we care about the same things that God cares about. Um, but often we aren't. And uh, um, when God is telling us to strike the ground with arrows, even if this makes no sense to us, we need to see that through. And when God tells you to do something and the result doesn't come immediately that you suspect, Sometimes you just got to wait because God's like, I told you to say that. Amen. Like, well, they got mad or whatever. I don't know. You know, you're going to have to apply this stuff yourself. Um, but you have to remember that God likes to get the credit for things. It's not because he's vain, like he needs it. You see what I'm saying? It's just because it's helpful. For example, if God starts doing something amazing, because Tyler's praying for somebody. And Tyler starts to go, see, it's all about me. You've got to have me pray for you. And that's how this works. Um, that puts him in an awkward place. That puts the church in an awkward place. And this happens a lot. And we tend to kind of get into this sort of thing. And I'm not saying p- different people aren't anointed to do different things. Obviously, we're about to even go into that word anointing and everything like that. So, But the point is, if you start to exalt ourselves while God's using us, you know, we get in the way. First off, we're distracting from what God's really doing, one. And two, we're also, uh, we're, we're, we're taking something that's rightfully God's, and he uh, doesn't like that. And uh, so, anyway, God likes to use the foolish things to confound the wise. And so... As a church and as families, as individuals here, we need to start believing in the foolish things that God's calling us to do, okay? This is the real core of this whole thing. Because 
uh, often when the Bible talks about God is logical, God can be, you know, like things he does do make sense in a grand sense. <laughs> but we don't always have the sense to understand it, all right? And if you're, especially, for me, it's most of the time, like, during it, you're like, well, that sounds dumb. And then it turns out to be the thing that, you know. So the trust of, of God is so crucial here. And what does trusting God look like? It means, like, actually trusting him, you know. It's easy to look like you're trusting God in front of other people um, to the point that you might even fool yourself. God has a way of reminding you um, that you don't trust him. But we cannot go there, you know, just by starting off on the right step. So I want to talk about the story of David in the Bible. David and Goliath, David, David the king of Israel, David. And I want to use it as a parable, meaning we're going to interact with it. Jesus spent most of his teaching time publicly when he was on, on the earth, teaching in parables, stories that are true. Um, this one is true, true, I think historically true, like this man existed and lived but um, you can use a story in a parable sense where you can kind of enter into it. You can see, what does this say about God? What does this say about me? What does this say about other people? What does this say about, you know, and you can use it that way. And it's interesting because in a room like this, however many people are here, we can all use it in a slightly different way, and it can all be a good thing that God is showing us, okay? And so... I'm going to start telling this story in a sort of interactive way, highlighting things maybe we haven't always highlighted. Um, and I want you to listen for yourself, and I want you to interact with it. And we might start further back than you are right now, okay? Meaning you're like, well, I've, I've gotten over that. Well, some people haven't. So we're going to start there, and we're going to work through it, and hopefully it'll pick everybody up by the end of this thing. Um, if not, sorry. Um, so we're going to talk about David. David is a boy or a young man, and he's like the youngest child, youngest son of his father, and he's a shepherd. And he's watching his dad's stuff, okay? And it's not a bad thing to do, but that's just what he's doing. And so God tells the prophet Samuel, hey, I need you to go to this guy's family, his, name, his father's name is Jesse. I need you to go to his house, and I need you to, because I've got a guy I want to anoint the king of Israel. And he's like, okay, I'll go do it. So he goes in there, and then Jesse's like, whoa. You know, he doesn't tell him exactly what he's doing, but the prophet's here. And, like, they're freaked out by this guy to the point that they say, like, do you come in peace <laughs> is the first question. So it's serious what's going down, you know. And so... So uh, so Jesse's like, you know, he, he, or Samuel asks for his son, so he brings out his firstborn son, and he walks in, and Jesse's like, or Samuel's like, oh, man, this is the guy. He's tall, he's strong, he's, I mean, that's everything we need in a king, right? And uh, God says back to him, no, that's not the guy. And he says this, and this is the only scripture we're going to quote today. The rest is kind of a paraphrase. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God is saying to the prophet, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Not rejected him, like forget him entirely, but he's not the guy that I'm, we're doing this with. You know, okay? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to read that again. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think just about, I, I don't know exactly, probably, you could just leave that up, leave that up the whole time. Uh, I think that probably all, or just about all, <laughs> of the culture that we interact with on a daily basis looks at the way people look and outward appearance. And not at the heart. I think just about all of it. Advertising is built on this. You know? And they use it to trick us to buy stuff. Well, first to trick us to think we need this. Then we buy it. And then we're disappointed or whatever it is, you know? But everything else. Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you know? It's all based on outward appearance. And I'm not saying God can't use any of these things. Of course he can. Of course he does. Of course he will. But our typical interaction with it isn't that. It's typically teaching us repeatedly. And I'm saying Christian people here. Like we are learning to evaluate things by their outward appearance and uh, make judgments on that and not look at the heart. So to be proper followers of Jesus, we've got to Get this one figured out. So Jesse brings out his son. Like, this is the guy. God says, no, it's not the guy. So, Jesse, so Samuel says to Jesse, well, do you have another son? He's like, yeah, I got another guy. Oh, this is the guy. No. Well, I got another son. Oh, yeah, this is, you know, no. And after they go through a handful of them, he's like, is that all your sons? I mean, like, is that every single one of them? And he's kind, it's kind of a little weird because he's like, well, yeah, oh, well, you know, I do have my son David, but he's not here. So I don't know if he, like, didn't get the memo or if, like, his job description meant, like, oh, we just haven't gotten the word yet. But it kind of sounds to me like I didn't even tell him because, I mean, I mean, obviously it's not him, right? You know? So they go get him, and, and Samuel's like, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. He's the guy, and he anoints him the king of Israel as some random kid in some random family, in some random town. And so the first group of people I want to talk to are the people that feel as though they are the losers. In some way, maybe in everything you do, maybe your job, I don't know. You're the losers. Um, and I think what God is saying to you is you're the guy or the girl. And that this matters. You know, the God himself is saying this to you. I want you. You're the one that I'm looking for. And uh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for several, several reasons. <laughs> one of which is uh, there's already a king when he does this. So... The idea of anointing another king while there's currently a king is generally a bad idea. So, 
I think there's some of us here that feel purposeless, disconnected, um, broken, out of it, whatever. And you even... You've looked, like you've looked for, look like, God, you know, I kind of, I want this whole thing to work, this God thing, this following Jesus thing. I want this to work. I want it to matter. I want to care. I want to treat people the way you, I, I want to do all this stuff, but it just doesn't work. And then I look at this other person, it's definitely working for them, you know. And so I'm missing something, and then it turns into this, you know. And so what God is doing is he's breaking through all of that and saying, we're throwing all of that away. I am, I am calling you. So every single one of us here is called, right? But maybe you've felt called already, but you're just bored. Or maybe worse, you're bored and jealous because, you know, there's somebody else doing this job already. And then you're going to tell, you're going to have the audacity, God, to tell me, I'm supposed to do this thing, whatever it is, you know. And it doesn't make sense. But it's the Lord's call on your life. And so you find yourself in this weird predicament where you're called and yet somebody else is doing everything. And so you start getting jealous of them or jealous of their life, jealous of their finances, just whatever, just jealous. And that also takes you into some sort of dark place. It doesn't undo what God did, though. Because the circumstances of David's life become, in my mind, quite odd over the next chain of events because he gets anointed as the king of Israel, and this is in like first Sam, like halfway through the book. It doesn't become the king till like Second Samuel or something like that. It was a long way off. Um, so there's this gap of a lot of strange events. We're only going to talk about one today, but we'll allude to some of the others. But the the point is. His life doesn't change from his outward appearance. But God has changed everything. See, anointing is something God does. It isn't something you can buy. It isn't something you can earn. This is something God does. So he's anointed the king. There is still a king, and you're still a shepherd. This is a weird mind game. And so I think God tends to know what he's doing. And, uh, and we, I've talked about this before, and I'll briefly mention it. But the thing that comes in is the trusting part that I was talking about with God is that the next phase, like if you hear this call or you feel this, you know, you're at something like that sinned event we were at a couple of weeks ago, which was about praying for God to send forth laborers into the harvest. I want to be one of these laborers, or I feel like that's something God's put inside of me or something like that. Um, But I am still not, I still work at 
whatever, some lame job or something, you know, nothing's changing, you know. This is where the creativity has to come in. And, and I want to sh- share this. I, I shared this before about two years ago or something, so it will bear repeating just a little bit. That the only reason David himself uh, eventually is the guy who kills the giant is because of this next phase. Because it would make sense that if he's anointed king, you either go deal with the other king or you start getting trained in kingly things. And you start doing king stuff. And he does end up kind of becoming Saul's friend through some weird chain of events, playing music and all. But, but he, again, he's mostly a shepherd and mostly still working for his dad as he's anointed king. But uh, he's, he starts to, in my mind, move into this phase where God is training him. And God is laying out for him how he needs to see things, teaching him how to trust him in spite of difficulty, teaching him to rest in the Lord. And you see these things all reflected in the Psalms that David later writes, because David's a musician, so he's writing these songs. And we have a collection of them in the Bible called the Psalms. And they talk about all sorts of different things. And he kind of has this, like, he's super in tune with not only who God is, but who he is. And, you know, you even see throughout the rest of, you know, a lot of the Old Testament where the kings that follow after him don't do a lot of great stuff. And God's like, I would wipe you guys out, but because I like David so much, I'm going to forgive you. Like that kind of thing. So he gets something really figured out during this time period. Uh, Incredibly significant. But he is endeavoring into what I would call God's unconventional training. Because you may feel like, I felt like, if God wants me to do this, why am I doing this? If God wants me to do this, why am I doing this? If God is wanting me to be whatever it is. Um, I hate giving examples because it like cuts off half the people or more. You know what I mean? Because I know most people aren't there. They're like, I want to be a preacher. <laughs> like, no, you don't. You know, and I get it. So, um, but an on-fire believer, you know, that could take on so many different forms, and it has to. So you have to apply this yourself, okay? Most of us don't need to be preachers, all right? And so, that goes without saying, you already know that, but um, the point is this, but there is a thing, there is a calling on every single one of our lives, and we're still doing this weird shepherding thing, and like, what in the world is going on? And it only makes sense at the end, and so, during this time, God has changed, I don't know what he is doing, and it's not totally recorded, they like, skip that, you know, it's like, so David went back and did this thing, moving on, and... Uh, there, is, there, are, uh, there are moments where everything shifts. And something that becomes completely, something that was of no value becomes of utmost importance. The cross of Jesus, as we have on our wall, is a perfect example. This cross is not, you know, it's like, oh, this is a religious symbol. Really, it's, it's weird. It's, this is where Roman... The Roman Empire would torture and kill people, bad people, like the kind of people that should be killed, probably. I don't know about torturing them, but it's, it's horrible. It's supposed to be, A, public, supposed to be embarrassing, humiliating, because the idea is like, look, we're going to hang a dude with nails on this thing because he, you know, did something really bad, and 
if you do that, that's what's going to happen to you. And there's like times where they would like conquer a town or something like that, and they would just like down the road to that town, just go down the road and fill up a whole, I don't even know how many miles, with just crosses of people dead. So as you walk by, you're like, don't screw with these guys, you know, they'll mess you up, you know. And then Jesus comes along, does nothing wrong at all, and dies on this as a bad guy. And at that moment, there's a moment where this evil thing becomes of utmost importance to everyone forever. God tends to do that a lot. There's a moment when it suddenly matters. And I don't know when that is, and I don't know how it is, but I I know if you quit or you start to get out of line... Like, if David was like, you know what? Forget this. I'm the king. I'm going to go take care of this situation. And he walks up. I mean, you can tell from the rest of the story. You should go and read it. Once Saul catches on to what's going on, Saul is the actual king right now, okay? Um, who God had called, right? So God calls a king. That guy turns out to not do it. Like, it's not good. We have a new king now. But there's this weird inner overlapping period. When Saul finds out what's going on, he tries to kill David, like, a bunch of times. Okay, so if David shows up as some punk kid, he's like, off the chair, this is my job now. I'm pretty sure he'd be like, deal with this kid, please, you know, and he's gone, you know. But he had the smarts or I don't know, whatever, to trust God through this unconventional training. And he got to that moment where it suddenly mattered. I'm going to tell you a funny story because I like it. (laughs) And I'm a nerd. I love stories like this where... All of a sudden, somebody that did something is not unimportant. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely of a certain level of importance. And then all of a sudden, it becomes like, wow, you're the only one that can do this. And you find these kind of stories around a lot of severe situations like World War II. There's tons of situations like this where people that had a weird skill, all of a sudden, they're like, you're the only person that can do this. We need you. you know? So severe situations draw this stuff to the surface. There's a funny one that I like a lot, is that when uh, the Americans were trying to land on the moon in the 1960s, they had a a list of um, things they had to be able to do, you know. And NASA doesn't, like, build everything themselves, you know what I'm saying? Like, they they have engineers and they do, but, like, a lot of the stuff that they were using was built by Boeing and North Grumman and all these different companies they would contract to buy the, to build this stuff, right? And sometimes they would like, you guys all submit, like we have a time limit, we have a budget, we need to get this thing done. You four guys try to figure out how to do this part, the rocket booster or whatever it is. And then you guys try to figure out this lunar lander thing. And, and look, if you don't believe we landed on the moon, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> That'll go back into that fear thing. I was you have too much faith in fear. But you can come talk to me and I'll explain to you why you're wrong. But the... Uh, um, <laughs> takes more faith to believe that than to believe we actually did it, all right? So we'll just leave it at that. So anyway, so they have these different companies that are contracting and building these different devices. Like, okay, yours worked the best. You guys are going to build this. We need it by next April. You guys are doing this, and you have this much money, and we need it. But, you know, so they got down to a crucial thing that they needed, uh, which was a spacesuit. And so essentially they're going, okay, we have this spaceship, and now we need a suit that can be that spaceship. Because, unless, in case you don't know, there's no air in space. It's like a giant vacuum. So, 
When you step out into that without a suit, your blood immediately boils and you even you die almost instantly and all this kind of stuff. And so they needed a spacesuit, and like the list of what it had to do was kind of ridiculous and borderline impossible. But they like okay, companies, you try to do this. And one guy had the bright idea to reach out to some people that actually made clothes, because like all these companies are like Boeing and such. You guys make stuff, and you're good at it. But this is a suit. So when it came down to the competition, these companies showed up with their suits. Most of them looked like some sort of giant deep sea thing with articulated, you know, and they weighed like hundreds of pounds. One of them, I think, when they pressurized it, it exploded. And the only one that worked was made by Playtex. (laughs) And they sewed the suit that Neil Armstrong was wearing on the surface of the moon. It's in the, it's in the Smithsonian right now. And it's cool. You can read about this story. I just happened to like it because this guy went to this lady and was like, hey, I got a project I want you to work on. And she's like, okay, what kind of new underwear are we going to be sewing? And he's like, we're going to design a spacesuit. Like, what? <laughs> you know? And then she's like, get the people you think are the best at this because, I mean, we've got to figure this out. And they did. And it worked. It was the only one that worked. And so, anyway, you can read more about that if you want, if you're into nerdy things like me. But there's tons of stories like this. And this is, in a sense, even though this is a grand human accomplishment, inconsequential in light of God, okay? So I'm not putting it down. It's awesome. Like I said, I like it. But um, we can't be distracted. But they're like, well, come on, you know? That's a big deal. Because here's the thing. This is where this whole thing gets off, I think. Because you're like, I got it. I got it. God has called me these grand things, king of Israel, metaphor, slaying giants. That's what I've been referring to. In case you don't know the story, paraphrase, Israel's up a fight against an army, and they send out their giant that they happen to have. And he's like, hey, how about I fight one of your guys, and whoever wins, wins. And they're like, no. But they don't have anything to do about it. And then they're all freaked out by this guy. And then David shows up. And he's like, because he's bringing, like Steve said a couple weeks ago, he's bringing his brother's food because the dad's like, hey, you need to check on these guys. So again, David's not fighting, right? He's still a shepherd. Even now, while they're fighting, he's like, I need you to take your son some food and just tell me if they're alive. You know, I don't know what's going on. They don't have email, you know. So he goes and then he sees this guy show up because every day Goliath the giant comes down and goes hey you know who's gonna fight me today he's like all right I'll see you tomorrow you know a bunch of wimps you know and they're all like gosh man and they're all humiliated and David's like what's with this guy you know and they're like oh yeah you're gonna deal with it he's like of course I'm gonna deal with it and then he goes and he deals with it because Goliath the giant wants you to meet him on his terms okay like come fight me like I got a bigger sword than you and I'm sure as heck gonna win you know, that's how giants work, right? They lay out the terms for you to interact with them. And we've, probably because of advertising or because we look at out, outward appearances, we go, oh, man, I can't fight that guy. I'll lose. And David, after his unconventional training, goes, I can just throw a rock at his head, and it'll be, you know, I don't even need to get near the guy, you know? And he tells Saul this, and Saul's like, okay, look, because he, again, David had a relationship with Saul because he would play music with him or for him, and so, and so Saul's like, okay, like, 
this sounds nuts, but this is the only thing we got. But at least, like, take my armor and stuff. So he, like, puts it on him. And David's like, now he's looking like a king, right? So finally, he's starting to look like what he's supposed to be doing, right? Finally starting to look like he's supposed to be looking. But he's smart enough. At that point, God's changed him enough that he goes, you know what? I can't do this. I don't, I don't even know, what these, I don't even know what these, how to use these things. They're just they're awkward. I'm just going to go out there the way I go out there. The way I go out there, the way God brought me to go out there. I just need a few rocks. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's nuts. He gets out there, the taunting, and then he throws a rock. The guy's dead, right? And people are like, what? So here's where it gets off. All right, now we're back. We're all about, in America, we're all about throwing rocks at giants. That stuff gets you going. Gets me, I mean, I get excited about that. I'm like, man, you know what? I'll throw rocks at giants all day, you know? I want to do that. Especially, like, like throw rocks against anti-God giants or, you know, whatever, you know? Not only is it giants, it's like evil, and, you know? Here's where we get off. Not all the giants look like that. They all function exactly like that. They all taunt in the exact same way, but they're not all apparent. And what I mean by apparent is in front of other people. Some people's biggest giant in their life that God is calling them to slay, no one will know. So it's easy to apply this to things that you get credit for. Okay? Because if I stand up here and blow something up that no one else can take care of, like I was talking about Tyler praying for people or something, he's like, that looks pretty good. Like, Man, he dealt with that thing. That guy's legit. But you don't know what giants I deal with on a daily basis. And I don't know which ones you're dealing with. And it's not all internal mental stuff. Okay? Some people it is. There's things you feel that are giants. That tends to be it for me. I'll just be honest. All right, so. But your family situation can be a giant. Your financial situation can be a giant. Your financial situation that you caused can be a giant. Okay? Your name can be a giant. Your race can be a giant. Whatever's taunting you is the giant, okay? But we have to have the boldness and the courage to confront the giants on God's terms, though they're foolish, and especially if nobody sees it. Because... That's the only choice, really. I mean, I could make up other because, but I mean, or you lose. And so, I'm not going to inflate the giants of, of our lives because they're absolutely real. But, 
They're only insurmountable on their terms. Okay? When we talk to our children about other kids that are jerks, you know, um, my daughter got some rude text from some kid yesterday, and uh, she was like, what am I supposed to do with this? And it said, like, hey, I'm getting ready from... It was just a rude text. She was trying to say, like, you're left out, you know, wish you could come to something you weren't invited to, you know? So I told her to write back. I was like, sorry, I missed your text. I was busy not caring. Wish you could come. And uh, she didn't write that. So, But um, I told her, I was like, don't let her win, man. If the, only, like, the way she wins is if you care at all, you know. So don't even write back. This is nonsense, you know. And it's just some kid being dumb. I mean, I don't hate the kid or anything. But um, Lord help me. But the... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. No, but seriously, I was looking at that in light of this, and it's, uh, you know, how much, of, how much do we surrender to the terms of the enemy? You know what I mean? And, and, and where do they get off thinking they have the right to tell us what the terms are? You know, that's what David gets right. He shows me, he's like, who is this guy? You know? It's like, are we God's people or not? And it's not about, like, look, my story is not a good example because that's an actual kid and the Lord loves her. And, I, you know, so don't, don't go there. It's not about hating other people or something like that. Um, it's about hating the giants, all right, guys? Our war's not with flesh and blood. So I'm done. I'm going to pray. They're gonna, we're going to sing a song, I guess. Um, I don't know if there needs to be, you know, we sometimes have this altar call thing at the end. Um, you need to come pray, you come pray. And if not, I just want a commitment. Corporately, individually, and I think that you might need to tell somebody, all right? Um, it doesn't have to be everybody, you know. But there's probably um, the giant in your life, giants. You know, there were other, <laughs> this is an interesting story too. Kevin can inform you in full detail. But the, the, the thing about David and this giant story is that there weren't, these, these, I don't even know who these guys were, all right? They're giants, right? Um, some people think they were the Nephilim. That's a weird thing you can look into. But there's definitely, because David has what he calls mighty men, these guys that go around and they fight a lot of fights. <laughs> and so it's like David, and then lists them off somewhere where it's like, you know, David killed Goliath the giant and all these other people. And then such and such. Tyler again. <laughs> he killed two giants <laughs> and all these other people, you know. So there's like, where are all these giants coming from? And then one guy had six fingers and toes, right, Kevin? Like on each hand? Yeah, so Kevin's our resident Bible expert. So you could have more than one giant is what I'm trying to say. That was a long-winded way to say that. Go ahead and start playing, guys. The, uh, uh, so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes and... Help us to open our eyes and stare straight in the face of the giants in our lives, Lord. But further open our eyes, like your servant in the Bible, to see the chariots that you have around. You are so much more than a conqueror, Father. Fill us with courage. 
that like Steve spoke two weeks ago about that runner who encountered a mountain lion that when he got away from it he's like you know what I'm not going to let you jump on me again I'm going to just deal with this situation right now even if the giant in our life seems stupid to somebody else give us victory and freedom Lord teach us to throw just throw a rock at it give us freedom Father in Jesus name